Hey, church, listen, as we pray this morning, we want to pray for our international mission areas around us, around the world, serving around the world. And that was just a, a quick kind of recap of what is going on with the International Mission Board. You saw the number of how much was given collectively uh, through our churches um, across the, the, the United States and what a, a work God did in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We gave as a church over $33,000. It's one of the largest missions offerings we've given uh, in any calendar year towards international missions in the history of our church, quite, quite frankly. Um, year before last, we gave the largest gift we've ever given in the history of our church to international missions. Uh, so praise God for that. I just want to thank you for your, your sacrifice of giving uh, throughout the month of December. Um, I just want to remind us this morning of what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering does. You know, the International Mission Board funds over 4,000 missionaries serving around the world. Many of them are serving in very hard-to-reach places, places where it is not legal to share Christ in different places. It's not legal to share Christ in uh, some of these countries, and yet we're funding them. We're keeping missionaries in those places, serving and working and jobs in those cities and in those communities, but also sharing the gospel as they go. And all of that needs to be funded uh, and paid for. And so the Lottie Moon Christmas offering takes about, it covers about 58% of the entire budget of the IMB. That's why it's so important. Only about 30 to 40% is covered by our cooperative program giving, and our church gives towards that. But when we take up that one-time offering at the end of the year, you know, it goes towards, 100% of it goes towards uh, missions. I just want to remind us as we're going to pray this morning from Acts chapter 13, there's a great story there about the sending off uh, from the church in Antioch uh, of Barnabas and Saul. And it says that they sent, they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And right there in the story, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island of the, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And if you remember the story of Bar-Jesus, uh, he becomes someone of a catalyst of spiritual warfare in the lives of these men as they're trying to share the gospel. So they face spiritual warfare. But then they have success in their gospel witness. At the end of that story, in the last, in verse 12 of the story, it says, and then the proconsul, one of the, the uh, Roman leaders who was there, believed in Jesus. And when he saw that it, what it had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When we pray for our missionaries, as we're going to do right this morning, I want us to pray for four things. I want us to pray for confidence in the word of God on behalf of our missionaries serving around the world. I want us to pray for those men and women to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would move and fill them. We need to pray for victory in the face of spiritual warfare, because as we see here in the story, our missionaries also experience spiritual warfare and then success in the gospel witness. The seeds that are sown, the words that are shared, it takes courage to share those, but God moves when his people pray and the gospel witness brings about new life in the lives of people. Will you join me as we pray? And we're going to pray this morning for those things as we think about our missionaries. Father, this morning, thank you for the time that we've had to sing, the time that we've had, God, to, to speak to you through song. God, you are worthy of our worship. I mean, Lord, you are... You were the beginning and the end. No one created you. 
you've always existed. You also represent the end of our faith, or God, you are the destination for which we live our lives. You created us. You are a good and creator God. You create us out of your perfect nature. You didn't intend for us to be broken. You didn't intend for us to experience brokenness in our life. It was never your intention, Father. We know that, Lord, you're a God that wants relationship with us. You created us that we would know you intimately, that we would have a personal relationship with you. For, Lord, that's what Adam had. And only Adam walked this earth with that understanding of a lack of brokenness between you and humanity. Adam and Eve, when they walked in the garden, Lord, we only know brokenness. We only know sin. But God, you're a God of love. In fact, you define what love is. You are love, 1 John says. And so because of that, you loved us enough that you sent your son Jesus into the world to save us, to save, Lord, our lives, to bring us into a personal relationship with you because, God, we were cut off from you. And yet, God, you stepped down and you rescued us through Jesus. You are worthy of worship. You're worthy of our presence here this morning, God. You are worthy of us singing. You're worthy, God, of us giving. You're worthy of us serving you. You're worthy of us, Lord, hearing your word and responding to it. Lord, you are so worthy. We're not, Lord, here to patronize you. We're not here to somehow... um, impress you with our presence, impress you, God, with our words, impress you with our singing abilities or lack of, Lord. We are here to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, God, because you're worthy. And this world, Lord, provides for us all kinds of temporary solutions and temporary pathways to live our lives. But, Lord, you satisfy us. For Lord Jesus, you tell us that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. You tell us, Lord, that you are the bread of life. For you satisfy our every need. God, we search and we run after so much, but Lord, you satisfy us in every way. You are the the light of the world. For Lord, we live in a dark world, trying to scrape and scratch through this life as though we're trying to figure out how to live it and we keep going and running into brick walls and yet, Lord, through you, Jesus, you show us the way. You are the living water. Lord Jesus, you are the one who quenches our thirst as you told the woman there at the well in Samaria. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You're worthy of living our lives, of obeying you in our lives, of being faithful to you with our lives. God, we thank you that every missionary serving you around the world has believed that. And every missionary around the world, Lord, sat in pews and in chairs such as what we're all sitting in this morning, worshiping and singing and serving, and yet somehow, some way, at some point, you, Lord, pricked their hearts and you called them out of the local churches they were serving in and attending You called them away from their secular jobs. You led them away from college campuses, and you called them onto the mission field. So, Lord, we, as the church, Lord, undergird them. We pray for them. We become, Lord, what they need. We pray this morning that you would give them confidence in your word, that they would know that wherever they're serving you, wherever they are today, they would know without a doubt they hold the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that is powerful, that 
can be used to change the human hearts. We pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit just as you did with Barnabas and with Saul. God, that your Holy Spirit would anoint them, that your Holy Spirit would fill them, that you would give them the courage that they need to stand and to by faith move forward. We pray that you'd give them victory over the spiritual warfare that Satan throws at them. The real hard, difficult days that they have, conversations that they have, the rejection that they have, the at times, Lord, feeling as though they are inadequate, at times feeling as though what they're doing is not being effective. God, would you not allow their minds to wander from you, but to believe in the power of your gospel? And then, Lord, would you give them success in their gospel witness? They're farmers just like us. They're plowing fields, they're sowing seeds, they're praying that, God, you would water those seeds and bring about spiritual fruit. God, would you allow your gospel that does change lives as it has changed us in this room to change the lives of people around the world in every time, every tongue, every nation. God, would you do this work in them? We thank you for the privilege of partnering with them, Lord, by way of our giving, by way of our praying, and Lord, we long for the day and look forward to the day we get to partner with them in the going of partnering with people around the world to take the gospel to them. God, we love you. Thank you for this time and in, in this service. We pray for your blessing on your word now as we turn to it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Hey, I'm going to embarrass a couple, but you, you remember Ethan and Caitlin Smith? Y'all remember that couple? They're in our service today. So y'all welcome them home. Hey, but at the end of the service, you make sure you say hello to them. Of course, Ethan has been, was our children's director, our director of childhood, our children's ministry here uh, for the last few years, and we commissioned them out at the end of last year, and they have been at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and they've been uh, studying there and living life there, and, and uh, man, God's doing a great work in their lives, and so we welcome them home this morning, and uh, we're excited to have them here, so... Um, uh, we're glad to have them. So you make sure you welcome them after the service today. And listen, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter uh, 14 this morning as we continue our series um, on obedient, faith, courageous, uh, faithful God rather, and courageous living. God is doing work in our lives and in the life of our church here in the book of Joshua. And uh, we're going to continue today looking at a very important figure in the book of Joshua, his name was Caleb. God does amazing work in Caleb's life, and God preserves for us the story of Caleb here in the scriptures, and we're not gonna pass over it, we're gonna focus on it because I believe God has a word for us this morning. I mean, what's found at the end of a faithful life? Maybe that's a question you've never considered, or maybe it's a question you've never asked, but what is found at the end of a faithful life? I've heard someone say one time years ago, I have no idea who said it, but it, 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 it struck me, and as I've always remembered it, that, that in life we, we live between both fear and reward. We live between these two bookends. On the one hand, we live in light of the fear of God. We serve Him. We follow Him. We live our lives in light of the fear of God. We fear Him with our lives. And at the same time, on the, on the back end is the reward that we receive from Jesus Christ, from the Lord Himself. And so we fear the Lord, we follow him, we plow, we serve him all throughout our lives, and then we receive this reward, fear and reward. And what's found at the end of a faithful life? Sometimes life is funny, 
sometimes life is not so funny, but it is interesting. For example, all of us grow up thinking in terms of pursuing, if you will, the American dream. What's the American dream? Well, if you live your life, if you try to pursue an education, maybe you go to trade school, maybe you go to college or whatever you're trying to pursue with your life, but the American dream sells us and tells us and teaches us, it's ingrained in all of us, that if you just really work hard and you go off to college and you go off to a trade school or you learn a particular uh, role in an apprenticeship, maybe with someone else, then you work. When you become a young adult and you become an adult, you work and you work, and you work, and you work, and what you're supposed to do, what what the American dream tells us to do, if we save enough money, then we can get to a place where we can retire, and then when we get to a place where we can retire, we can maybe buy a nicer home, or we can buy an RV, and we can travel the country, or we can do all of those things. Here's why life is not so expected. You see, the problem with that is what happens when the unexpected comes. For example, years ago, there was a gentleman in a church that I served at, is he and his wife, and he was an incredibly faithful man, and he was a blue-collar guy, he had served all and had done all this work in his life, and he got into a point where he could retire. He and his wife, they built a dream home, and it was a beautiful home. And th- literally three weeks before they were supposed to move into that home, he had a heart attack and died. And she went ahead and moved into the home. But they had their life planned out for them. They had worked, they'd gotten to a place where they could retire, and they got to a place where they could then enjoy retirement. They had their dream home built, they had done everything custom, they planned out the bedrooms, they planned out everything about the house, only for life to throw them something unexpected. What happens when you get cancer? What happens when... um, the stock market crashes and you've got all your 401k built in or maybe you get to the point where you're ready to retire and and if you just work one or two more years, that triggers the pension from your company and yet the the boss comes to you and says, you know what, we're moving in the direction of someone who's younger. All because, and you know what what the deal is, so they don't have to pay your pension. What happens when things like that happen, when you have this plan and you go down the road of thinking in terms of of fulfilling the American dream, what happens when all of a sudden life changes course? Promises in our lives, because these are promises, the promise is that if I work really hard, I can achieve this. If I work really hard, I can get that house. If I work really hard, then I can enjoy that life. The problem is that they're dependent upon outside sources. They're dependent sometimes on other people's lives and the mistakes they make that are going to affect you, or depends on whether there's something internally from a health standpoint that you don't know anything about that all of a sudden triggers something. There are promises, and sometimes we get to reap the blessing of those promises. Oftentimes we don't. In the end, what's left are the promises of God and the response that I have towards his will. All that's left at the end of life is the promises of God and his will in the journey. I think about this story, what's happening here all the way through the book of Joshua after years of conquest of war. The beginning of chapter 14, as we are going to dive into this chapter, there's this recap, if you will, of what happens here in the life of Israel. There's the conquest and the war, but they finally get to a place where the people of God are going to um, find and receive this land. Joshua had led them He led them into the promised land, as you know. Moses was the prior leader, but then he had passed the baton, if you will, to Joshua. 
Now the land has received the distribution of the land to the tribes of Israel, as we saw a week ago. And they'd cast lots. This was a way in which to determine what the will of God was. And they'd been given the land. And that's where we pick up here in the story of verse 6. I want you to notice this morning three things. I'm going to give them to you in the form of our, ours, okay? Three words that are going to help us walk through this story. And then I want to show you what God has to say to you and I this morning as we walk through this story. I want to remind you of the, or the word reminder. Then we're going to see the word request. And then we're going to see the word reward. Reminder, request, reward. Look at verse 6 with me. Um, and look at your Bibles with me this morning. It says in verse 6, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the Kenizzites said to him, quote, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up for it with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Look at verse 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Joshua reminds them of the, I'm sorry, um, Caleb reminds Joshua, if you will, of the promise that God has made to Moses and then had made to him. You know, this year, this fall, 25 years ago, my wife and I will celebrate our wedding anniversary this fall, October the 10th. That's our wedding anniversary. And 25 years ago, we stood before a, a minister, and she took this ring, and she slipped it on my hand, and then I slipped a ring on her hand. And what this is is simply a piece of metal. It's just a piece of gold. If I lost it, I would be disappointed. I'd be upset and all of those kinds of things, but it would not make me unmarried. But what it does is, is it reminds me, every time I look at it, every time I hold it in my hand, it reminds me of a covenant promise I gave to her, a covenant promise that she gave to me. There is a sense in which there's a commitment. There's a sense in which it's not broken. We don't go back on those things. And so when we stood there, we committed our lives to each other in difficult seasons. When we, you know, disagreed on certain things in life, we wouldn't just walk away from each other. We'd work through it by the grace of God, and God would take us through those things. When we experienced difficult things from a health standpoint or what have you, we would stay committed to each other because God was in this. God had formulated this covenant commitment between myself and her and God himself. This is what was going on. Before the land was divided, Caleb brings up the promise that God had given him, listen, you ready for this, 45 years ago. Caleb had a promise from God 45 years before this incident here in chapter 14. And so he comes to the, to the end here when the land is now at rest from war. He comes to this place and he reminds Joshua of that promise. He wants to remind Joshua of the promise that God had given him. And so he comes here asking for the land that he's been rightly promised. Now, this is referencing, of course, a, a promise, something that happened in the past. And if you want to write this reference down, but all the way back in the, the two chapters of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, is where we learn of this story. 45 years before, there we're in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. And what happened there in that moment, in that space, was a defining moment that Caleb experienced from God 
by way of Moses right there, right on the precipice of going into the promised land. And the people of God, you know the story, the people of God refused to go into the promised land. And Moses had pulled aside 12 men to go into the promised land. And you know what their role was? Their role was not to come back and tell the people of God or to Moses whether we should go. It was simply to report on what they had seen, what they had smelled with their noses. They had been in the wilderness for 40, or they'd been in the wilderness for a while. They had traveled and they had journeyed here on the precipice of going into the promised land. Think about what they had seen. They had seen God split the Red Sea. They had seen the Egyptians drown in the Red Sea. They had seen Pharaoh suffer. They had seen the people of Egypt suffer. They had seen God show up in amazing ways, split the Red Sea. They come across into the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. They're at the point of going into the promised land, and all they were supposed to do, these 12, is go into the promised land, see the grapes, smell the smells, see what they could see, the beauty of what God was going to give them, come back and high-five each other and be so excited about what God was about to give them and what did they come back with? Debbie Downer mentality. Oh my word. Have you seen the walls of Jericho? There's no way we're going to go into the promised land. There's no way that God wants to give us this. There's no way because have you seen the giants of the land? They're like 10 inches. They're like two feet taller than us. Their swords are bigger than us. The people there are larger than us. They have greater Weapon we, rep, weaponry than us. We don't have, we cannot do this. There's no way we can do this. And in that space, what do Joshua and Caleb do? They say, hang on. No, 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 no. No, stop it. Stop it. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're not doing what God has told you to do. Instead, what did they do? They, 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 they swayed the hearts of the people and caused their hearts to melt. I mean, back in Numbers chapter 14, there's two verses I want to remind you of or show you this morning. It's there in verse 24, first of all. Look at it on the screens. But my servant Caleb. You see, what God says is that he said, after they had rejected him, he's going to send them all back into the promised land. He says, who cares how big their swords are? Who cares how big their their walls are? Who cares how big the city-states are? You weren't even supposed to look at those. You are supposed to be reminded of my greatness, of how I'm going to give this blessing to you. So what does God do? He's going to send them into the wilderness, and they're all going to perish, that generation, that first generation. But what God says in this promise in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, he says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, is going to be able to go into the promised land, and has wholly or followed me fully, I will bring into the, into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Later down in verse 30, this is what he says. Look at this. He says, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Of the twelve, only two would enter the promised land. Of, of, of twelve, ten would die in the wilderness eating sand. Are you with me? Experiencing the dryness and the arid climate of the wilderness. Only two would return to the promised land. Caleb here in this story, here in Joshua chapter 14, is reminding Joshua, who was there that day with him, of the promise that God had given Moses in turn, who gave it to Caleb. Joshua had gone against, had the gall against, to, to go against the flow. Caleb, rather, had, had the gall to go against the flow. But Caleb was marked by this devotion of his faith. He had a willingness. He had courage. He had the ability or willingness to stand alone in that space.
Look at verse 10. So there is this reminder of the promise of God, and now he's going to give the request. If you look at verse 10 with me, this is what it says. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time when the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85. You love that? You like that? I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is in my strength was then, as, as was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will, get, will, will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. I love it. And so here he comes. Caleb makes his case on behalf of, of the land his life and war, and this is the significant piece of land. This is no insignificant piece of land. This is Hebron. You got to understand the significant piece of land of which, of which has been promised, of which Caleb has been promised, is the place in which God promises Abraham the land. It's the place, Hebron, where Abraham learns of Lot and where God says to Abraham, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the land in which Sarah has, been, has, has died and is buried. This is the land in which King David is going to be crowned king of Israel. This is no insignificant piece of dirt. This is Hebron. This is a special piece of, play, piece of dirt in the middle of the promised land. God has promised to give it to Caleb, and now Caleb is coming to him and saying, listen, give this land to me. This is my inheritance. By the way, there's still giants in the land. The Anakim are still there. There are still people and pockets and strongholds of people that are living in Canaan that Caleb says, I'm going to go finish the job. And at 85 years old, Caleb's going to go finish the job. At 85 years old, Caleb's going to strap the sword on and he's going to go to war for and go to work for the Lord. At 85 years old, he's not done and he's not going to kick his feet up and drink a glass of iced tea. Caleb is going to finish the work. Because this is what God's people do. We step out in faith and we finish the work. And this is what Caleb does. So he's faithful. He's obedient in this. And he wholly follows the Lord. And look at the reward in verse 13. Because there in verse 13, we see it. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, and Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. What a powerful story. Now listen. In this broken world, what really matters is how you live it. In the broken world that you and I live in, what matters is how you and I live it. It's what we pursue. It's how we pursue the life God gives us. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little bit of money, whether you can afford to big, build a house out on Lake Livingston or go buy an RV and travel around the country or not, or you have to work until you're 85 years old. What matters is how you live your life, the life that God has given you, how you run the race that God has put before you, how you glorify God in the way in which you live your life. It begins with you giving your life to Jesus Christ. You were not made for the American dream. God did not put you on this earth just for the American dream. God has more in store for you. God didn't put you on this earth just to make money and to buy nice things. Those things are great, and there's nothing wrong with them. 
It's nothing wrong to have an RV. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with buying a house on Lake Livingston. It's incredible. But we were not made for that. We were made for him. And it begins with Jesus Christ and understanding your purpose and meaning in life. God brought you into this world, not for you to just make money and, and to relax, but, but he brought you into this world for him first and foremost. So you understand that purpose and that plan that God has for you. It's to know Jesus. It's to have this personal relationship with God so that we can sing great hymns of the faith, that we can sing spiritual songs to him as we've done this morning, as we did both of those things this morning, and to connect with God and to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's to glorify him in our everyday life. It's to carry out the mission of the church to make disciples of all nations, right? It's to embrace this work that God wants us to, to embrace. The question is, will God hold up his end of the bargain? is when you step out in faith and you give your life to Jesus Christ and then you put your nose to the ground and you work and you try to do the things that God wants you to do and you're trying to do it the best you can to honor him, will God hold up his end of the bargain? But I want to say to you this morning, and this is the point that God has to say to us out of this text, what God does is he will always honor those who live faithfully through a broken world. I just want to remind you and I want to encourage you to do something for me this morning. Be reminded of what God says to you and I. God always honors those who live faithfully in and through a broken world because we live in a broken world, don't we? I want you to notice a few things about Caleb's story. Because you see, Caleb had two things going against him. He had two things going for him. First, Caleb suffered unjustly, didn't he? Did you pick up on that? You think about the life of Caleb, he suffered unjustly. I mean, half of his life he was living in the context of the consequences of someone else's sin. Man, Caleb had smelled the smells of Canaan. He tasted the fruit of what it was like to live in Canaan. He'd seen it with his own eyes. He was there with the people of God as this massive space of people were there and the 12 were there just to simply report on what they saw and the 10 are over here going, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. We gotta keep going. We gotta, we gotta about face and walk away from this. And here's Caleb and Joshua over here. Are y'all kidding me? God just split the Red Sea. God just did this to Egypt. God is with us. It's amazing that God is about to give this to us. No, we're not going. No, we're not going. And Caleb had to live for 45 years in light, over half of his life, under the consequences of someone else's mistake, of a, of a group of people that were unwilling to follow God. Now, just think about that for a moment with me. Caleb has to go into the wilderness, just like everybody else. Caleb is holding on to this promise we saw, but he has to get up every morning. And he has to walk out of his tent. And he has to experience the, the dust storms of the sand. Caleb has to walk out and he has to see the sunrise as it's coming up across the wilderness, across the, across the horizon. He has to experience hunger. He has to experience the dry mouth of living in the desert. He has to watch as people die and are being buried in the middle of nowhere. Caleb has to experience all of the suffering and the difficulty of living in the wilderness for 45 years. 
knowing what the fruit of the promised land tastes like. Knowing the water sources in the promised land. Experiencing the beauty of the promised land. And for 45 years, he's got to live with that. Holding on to the promise God gave him. One day, Caleb, one day, one day, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. He suffered unjustly, and yet he obeyed for 45 years, consistently obeyed the Lord. In light of someone else's sin, he suffered. But it wasn't the only thing he had going against him. Caleb what had going against him, he had this defining moment in his life that was followed by a long race to the end. And God certainly was testing Caleb at the age of 40. 40 years old, he's at the precipice of going into the promised land. But God gives him a promise at the age of 40. And there's this defining moment. I mean, God gave me this promise. I'm holding on to it. But for 45 years, I've got to live until it comes to fruition. A defining moment with this long race to the end. In his 40s, he receives this promise. But he has to live in his 50s. And then it's through all of his 60s, through all of his 70s, into his early 80s. And he's got to be thinking to himself, God, are you ever going to bring us into the promised land? Holding on to this particular promise. And he was waiting on the Lord. I think that is a spiritual discipline that we all need to grow in. To wait on the Lord to do what he wants to do when he's ready to do it, however he wants to do it. Wait on him to work. Wait on him to move. Instead of us jumping ahead of his will. Caleb teaches us through this struggle in his life of what it means to be patient on the Lord, to bring about this spiritual fruit of patience, because this is what the Spirit of God does, right? The spiritual fruit in our life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, ultimately. The Spirit of God brings about patience in our life, that we would have that. You see, Don't misunderstand what God's doing here in Caleb's life for 45 years because it looks as though on the surface, maybe 20 years in, it looks as though Caleb has been dealt an unfair life. I mean, you got to be kidding me. He was faithful. He was ready to go into the promised land. He's got to sit in the wilderness for 45 years? On the surface, it looks as though he's been dealt this unfair life, but don't confuse what appears to be a life that has been dealt an unfair life with an opportunity to live a faithful life. Some of you out there and some of people that I've experienced in my life, is, is, and at times I have experienced at times, I feel like that this is unfair. I've been dealt this, or maybe you feel like you've been dealt that. But don't confuse what God's doing. Because what God might be doing is giving you an opportunity to exercise faithfulness in that space through the rest of your life which is what Caleb does for 45 years. You see, Caleb has two things going against him. He has two things going for him. At Caleb's heart was a life he believed he could overcome, a life that he believed he could overcome. God was not done with Caleb. I mean, 
Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, the story all the way back says this, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once to occupy it for we are well able to, what? Overcome it. We're well able to overcome it. Think about the story here in Joshua chapter 14. What does Joshua say? It says that here at the end of or at 85 years, he says, I'm still, in verse 11, as strong today as, as I was in the day of the, uh, that Moses sent me. My strength now is in my st- strength was then, not f- for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said at 85. How about that? He believed that he was a man who could overcome. And by the way, if you jump ahead in the story of chapter 15, verse 14, and you'll see it down there. And Caleb drove out from there at 85, the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, the giants in the land. Here's an 85-year-old man who's not sitting back. He's continuing to work for the Lord. And what does God do? Gives him strength, the ability to do the work that God wants him to do among the giants in the land of which younger men, younger people, were unwilling to enter into that land 45 years before. Caleb was a man who believed he could overcome by grace and by the power of God both on the front end and on the back end. Both at the age of 40 and at the age of 85, he was an overcomer, but it isn't the only thing that he had going for him. You see, he wholly followed the Lord. You see that phrase? In fact, of Caleb, it's used seven times. It's used three times in this story. God uses it, of course, way back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. He was a man who wholly followed the Lord. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, this is how God describes him. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has what? A different spirit. He had a different spirit. He's followed me, what? Fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. We see it seven times. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 1. We see it here in Joshua chapter 14, three times in this story. What is the mark that sets apart Caleb? It was his faithfulness and his obedience to God, not just at that defining moment at 40 years old, but through the wilderness and even right here at 85. That's what makes him stand apart. He stood alone, and it's sometimes in our lives, God leads us to times when we have to stand alone in our faith. To step out in faith and do things that are hard, do things that are difficult, do things that are challenging because we know they're right, not because we feel comfortable, not because we feel as though this is what we want, but it's what God wants. And when God wants something and he wants us to step into that space when everyone else and everything else, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't feel right, it's what God wants so we step into that space. That's what set Caleb apart. The word holy means devoted. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to whatever God wanted. And what was his reward? It was one of the most sacred places in the promised land. God gave him this sacred place. God will always honor those who live faithfully through a broken world. You know what's on the end or what's on the face of Billy Graham's tombstone? It wasn't how many presidents he met 
It wasn't all of the accolades and the awards he'd been given by world leaders all over the world. It wasn't a number of how many people had come to faith in Jesus Christ under his ministry. It wasn't, it wasn't a number of how many people showed up at his crusades in the multi-millions across the world. No, none of that was there. Billy Graham has a rock that is flat on the ground, and all it says is Billy Graham, his birth date, his death date, and this is all it says. Preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. That's it. Because at the end of life, all it matters is have you followed the Lord faithfully with your life. It doesn't matter how many accolades we receive. It doesn't matter how many people listen to you or follow you or how much influence you've had and necessarily in a community. What matters is if God has given you an assignment and you followed him faithfully with your, with your life and you've been fully devoted to him. Imagine what Caleb's tombstone was like. I don't know. What I, do, what I don't know also is this. I don't know what his favorite color was. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know if he had a high-pitched voice or he had one of those deep voices. I don't know what his favorite food was. I know it wasn't manna. You Christians get the joke. But what does God tell us about him? Seven times he uses this phrase, he wholly followed the Lord. He wants you and I to know and remember. All we want to know about Caleb is this. He was fully devoted to me. That's all God wants you to know about him. He was fully devoted to following me. And I would imagine that if Caleb did have a tombstone, that would probably be what would, God would write on it, that he wholly followed the Lord. Listen, God never forgets the names of those who are faithful. Let me just encourage us with this this morning, that the Lord, that just, as, just like Caleb, we live we are broken people living in a broken world with a perfect God and perfect promises. We're a broken people living in a broken world with a perfect God who's given us perfect promises. And he will bring to pass and bring to fruition the things that he has given to us. Living in a broken world's not easy. I mean, when others inflict pain upon your life, you gotta live with that. Or maybe there were people who inflicted pain and suffering, or they, their sin led to where you are today. Maybe you didn't even know those people. But you can look back in your history, the people that influenced you. Maybe it was family members, and, and you look back in their history, and you say, man, they were made a mess of their lives, but it led to me. Listen, none of that impacts you. None of that has affected you. Here's what God gives you. God's given you a life to live. So how will you live it? You run that race. You pursue God in those spaces. You bring glory to God in those spaces. Wherever God puts you and whatever God allows you to have, you worship him, you serve him, you glorify him in, in every respect. Take a chapter from Caleb's life. He wholly followed the Lord. In the end, he's holding on to the promise of the Lord. What's found at the end of a faithful life? Oh, there's a reward. But it's not found on this earth. The reward that God gives us for a faithful life is, and an obedient life is not just a comfortable retirement where I get to spend my life traveling around the country or 
sitting and watching the beautiful sunset across Lake Livingston, and it's beautiful. But it's in those spaces, those things God gives us, that is not the end. First Peter chapter 1 says this, that we have been given an inheritance that is undefiled, that is imperishable, that is unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. The end of your life is not Lake Livingston. The end of your life is not the RV. The end of your life is not the American dream. The end of your life is not those things. Those are great things to enjoy and to pursue and to enjoy in our lives, yes. And we worship God in the midst of those things and with those things, but the end of life is this. When I live, live from, uh, leave from this life and I step into eternity, I do not take those things with me, and you know we don't. But I receive my reward if I follow Jesus. This life this inheritance. But while we're here, he's made you and I an overcomer. I mean, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, and it reminds us of this incredible principle. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. No matter what you've experienced and what you're dealing with and what you go through in your life, you have faith in Jesus Christ. It is, enables you to have this ability to overcome. Your faithful, faithfulness to Jesus Christ is all that matters. And so you step out in faith and you do hard things. You do things that are not comfortable, but you step out in faith and you step into spaces that God wants you to step into because you're holding on to this inheritance. You're holding on to this reward. You're holding on to this, this thing that God is wanting to give to you and bless you with, just as Caleb did at the age of 40. Sometimes you're going to go through difficulty in your life in a broken world, yes, but live faithfully for him. You'll get the reward. It may not be here on earth, and it won't be here on earth, but God gives it to you in heaven. That's the beauty of the promises of God. The end of everything, at the end of all things, there's only one mark that you take, that take to a level of bringing glory to God. It's whether you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Are you fully devoted to him? And so just as Caleb was fully devoted to him, what God wants is for us to be fully devoted to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning just for a few moments. And we're going to sing a song and we're going to worship the Lord together this morning. And I just want to encourage you to take some time with the Lord this morning. Take some time and pray and talk to him about your life. Talk to him about what he wants for your life and how he wants you to live your life. And maybe you need to commit yourself to the Lord once again this morning. Where it begins for all of us is when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. So this morning, the Bible simply says that for you and I, we are, we're separated from God because of our sin, because of our brokenness. God is perfect and holy in every way. He's a God of love. He's a God who cares deeply about your life. And so because of the problem that we can't stand in the presence of a holy God, he initiated. And he came to rescue us through Jesus. And so Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross unjustly. And he did that for you and I this morning so that we could come into this place and we could worship him, that we could serve him, that we could pour out our lives to live our lives for him. And if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that's your first step. Because you can't live for God unless you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And then when you surrender your life to Jesus, 
you run that race. Run it. No matter what is put in front of you, you choose and purpose to give glory to God in all that you do. And so I'll be here at the front as we stand and sing. And if you want to come and pray over any matter, I'll be here at the front. If you want to come and give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. I'll be here at the front to receive you, pray with you over any matter. If you want to come and join our church or say you want to be baptized, you come. If God's been speaking to you about missions or ministry, you come and you respond to what he wants, okay? Let me pray for us and we'll stand and sing and worship him. God, thank you this morning for the life of Caleb and how he reminds us of what it looks like at the end of life to live a faithful life. Thank you for giving him his reward. Thank you for promising and will deliver our reward. Would you find us as a church? Would you find us as individuals obedient and faithful? That's all you require of us. We give you this time now and pray that your blessing would be on our time of response, that we would respond with a yes to whatever you're saying to us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand and sing and worship him. for us. 